um, open them with me to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, and we'll begin at verse number 1. So 1 Peter, towards the uh, end of the uh, New Testament, amen, if you get over into uh, 1 John, you've gone too far. Uh, so back up just a little bit. And um, the book of 1 Peter, and we'll begin in the second chapter with the first verse, and I'll put those up on the uh, screen for you as well in case you uh, do not have a, a Bible or your neighbor is not wanting you to look on with them. I'm just kidding. Amen. All right. 1 Peter chapter 2 and um, verse number 1. It says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to Him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. Now, let's stop here for just a moment. The hymn in verse 4 is a capital H, and this is referring to Jesus. So we're coming to Jesus as a living stone. In other words, Jesus is as a living stone. Now, this is, again, kind of a unique comparison because, you know, who wants to be compared to a rock? You know, we, we sometimes use that as a, as a derogatory term, you know, say someone's dumb as a rock, okay? Um, well, this is not a derogatory term. And when he says, as a stone, uh, key word there is living, as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. So Jesus, based on verse 4, is a living stone that has been rejected by men, but has been chosen by God and is precious. That word precious there is a very important word. We'll come back to it. Let's keep reading. Verse 5. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So now, again, he's setting us up for this next couple of verses we're going to look at, but just to get you oriented, he's referring to Jesus as a living stone, and we're coming to Him as, living, as a living stone, but we're also coming to Him as living stones also. So Jesus is a living stone, we're coming to Him as living stones because we're going to be built up together as a spiritual house, a spiritual house. So the idea, of course, is that each one of us as living stones are coming to Jesus, but in coming to Him, we're also coming together. In being joined to Him, we're being joined to one another. Amen. One of the keys to a successful and happy marriage is for the husband and the wife to both pursue oneness with Jesus. Amen. 
And notice if, and I'll, I'll kind of illustrate if you're listening by audio, um, you know, later by recording, I've separated my right hand and my left hand by, I don't know, about two and a half feet. And, and they're, they're both moving upwards towards a point in the middle. So notice as, as both my right hand and left hand are moving towards this point in the middle, they're at the same time drawing closer together. As the husband and the wife both pursue fellowship with Jesus, the, the, the side effect, the side benefit, if you will, is that they're also being drawn closer together. The key to unity in any situation, in, in, in any church, in, in any uh, relationship, uh, is, is for, for both to pursue oneness with the same Creator. Amen. And as we are drawn to Him, as we come to Him, as Jesus is the focus, amen, all kinds of wonderful things begin to happen in our lives and in our relationships. Well, amen. All right, that's, if that's how it's going to be this morning, that's just how it's going to be, amen. Appreciate that one, uh, one amen, amen. All right. Well, reckon relationships are important. Reckon they have a lot to do with our lives. Reckon some of the greatest blessings in our lives comes from relationships and some of the greatest curses in our lives has come through relationships. Some of our, our, our greatest joys and some of our most painful experiences have all come through this thing called a relationship. Amen. And Jesus is the answer. Alright, so we're coming to Him as a living stone, but we also are living stones. We're being built up a spiritual house a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. One other phrase and we'll move to the next verse. Are being built up. Are being built up. Amen? We live in a world that tries to tear us down, that tries to break us down. Amen? But as we actively pursue, as we actively come to Jesus as a living stone, being a living stone also, rather than being torn down, we're being built up. Amen? And we need to do things in this life that build us up rather than things that tear us down. If we do nothing in the world in which we live, amen, because the world in which we live is a negative place. And I'll just use that as an example. If we do nothing to defend ourselves against the negativity of this world, the Bible says we will be conformed by the world that we live in into being like that world. But we are not going to be conformed to this world, but we are going to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Amen. We're not going to be torn down by the negativity of this world, but we're going to be in Instead, be built up. Amen. Being built up. Anybody here need to be built up this morning? Amen. Well, you're in the right place. We're coming to Him. We're here this morning not because of me. We're here this morning not because going to church is what we ought to do. No, we're here this morning because of Jesus. He is that living stone that has, all, that has attracted every one of us to this place this morning. And now you also as living stones are being built up. We're being built up together. Amen. All right, verse number 6, Therefore it is also contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, got any believers in the house this morning? Therefore, to you who believe he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. 
Now, before we go any further, I want to break that word disobedient uh, down into its uh, uh, most simple, basic meaning. Because when we hear disobedient, obviously it's in direct uh, relationship to those who believe. So we've got, on one hand, those who believe. On the other hand, we've got those who are disobedient. And you think, well, disobedient and belief, what's the connection there? This word disobedient here in the original language literally means those who refuse to be persuaded. Those who refuse to be persuaded. Those who are impersuadable. In other words, don't confuse me with the truth. My mind's made up. Don't, don't confuse me with the facts. I've already got my opinion. So he's not just talking about people who can't believe, but he's talking about people who have made a conscious, deliberate decision not to believe. They refuse to be persuaded. Amen. You ever ran across somebody like that? <laughs> I know that I have. I mean, you're you standing right there in front of them trying to tell them all about what God's doing in your life, and they write you off as a nut. They write you off as some religious fanatic. They, 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 they won't even listen to a word that you have to say. You, you not only have the answers, you've experienced the very answers that they're desperate for in their lives, but they refuse to be persuaded. They refuse to listen. Therefore, to you who believe, He is precious. Come on now, is He precious to you this morning? Is He of, of tremendous value to you this morning? That word precious, it means respect, reverence, esteem exhibited towards a person or thing. It also denotes honor, rank, and dignity given. Again, respect. To those who believe, He is precious. To those who believe, He is given respect by those who believe. He is revered by those who believe. He, uh, he is uh, um, given uh, esteem. And that esteem is what it's exhibited Right? It's not just something that we talk about, but the reverence and the esteem that we have for Him is on display in our lives. It's an unsolicited response, amen, to, to who He is and the claims that He has uh, upon our lives. So it's esteem exhibited towards Him. Precious denotes honor, rank, dignity given. We give Him honor, we give Him rank. What does it mean to give Him rank? It, it means to give Him place. It means to give Him a position of authority and recognize that position of authority that He has over us. And then, of course, the dignity. Therefore, to you who believe He is precious, but to those who are disobedient, to those who refuse to be persuaded, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, verse 8, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. All right, let's, let's stop right here. I wish the slides had fallen a little, a little differently there because what we see in verse 7, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Let me go back to that one real quick. 
Let me put it back up here real quick, all right? If you'll notice that last sentence in verse 7 is in quotation marks, it's because he's quoting from the prophet Isaiah. In other words, Isaiah had so much to say about the coming Messiah. Isaiah had so many prophecies concerning Jesus that of course were fulfilled when Jesus arrived. It was Isaiah who prophesied about his birth and, and the location of his birth. It was Isaiah who prophesied uh, uh, about him, him being smitten and, and, and crucified and, and things of this nature. But it was also Isaiah who prophesied that there would be those who would receive him and consider him to be precious, and there would be other people who would reject him, who would not receive him, and who would be impersuadable, who would, who would refuse to believe or refuse to be persuaded. And so this quotation um, in 1 Peter chapter 2, that last sentence in verse 7, it's in quotations because Peter is drawing upon his knowledge of the Old Testament and, and what it has to do with you and me, our lives in the New Testament. Are you with me? This letter that, Paul, that Peter wrote, rather, it actually became a part of the New Testament. You do realize that the New Testament hasn't been written yet. In other words, the only Bible they had to preach and teach from was the Old Testament. But what the Holy Spirit was inspiring them to do is help us understand what those Old Testament words have to do with our New Testament lives. Even this last day in March 2019, what does it have to do with you and me? What is this saying to you and me? What is the Holy Spirit trying to breathe into us today through these ancient writings? So again, there are still people on planet earth who refuse to believe. There are still people on planet earth who refuse to be persuaded, who, who won't even look a second time. And then there are folks like those in this room this morning who do believe, and to those who believe, this chief cornerstone is precious. Right? But the same stone that is precious to some is, again quoting, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to others. They stumble being disobedient to the Word. Again, that same word, disobedient, means refusing to be persuaded by the Word. Refusing to be persuaded by what the Bible teaches. Refusing to hear it. Refusing to listen to it. Refusing to give the Word of God the place the Word of God should have in their lives. They stumble being disobedient, impersuadable to the Word, to which they also were appointed. To which they also were appointed. Now, this word appointed, again, is an important word that may not mean exactly what you think it means. At least, when I hear appointment, I'm appointed, I'm thinking appointment. Am I right about this? In other words, you have an appointment. You have an appointment with the with the dentist, you have an, a, an appointment at, at 3 o'clock or what have you. And so, that, I'm not saying that's a, a wrong understanding, but when it says that this is something that they were also appointed to, in other words, he's saying that, that those who consider him precious have been appointed to the Word, and those who have rejected him, they also were appointed to the Word. So what does this mean? What does this word appointed mean? It literally means <clears throat> to place or set 
set in a proper place. Are you with me? Say amen. It means to place, like I just placed this cup of water right here on the little coaster on the pulpit, all right? I set it, I put it in its place. I set it in the spot that was designated for it. Are you following me? So this word to which we've all been appointed is that which is designed to put you and me in the place, set us in the place that Father God has for us, each one, to occupy. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, they stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen nation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. His own special people that you should proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Now, for those of you who are guests with us this morning or are new to, to the things that we're studying, let me give you a little bit of, re of a review, okay? Bring us all up to speed. Praise God. The Lord spoke to my heart end of last year. And he said this simple statement to me. He said, my children are wanting me to do things in their lives that they have not given me place to do. They're wanting me to do things in their lives that they have not given me place to do. We also see in the Scripture that the Bible says that he is able to keep that which we have committed to him. There are a lot of people who are upset with Father because, you know, they feel like He's not keeping, preserving, protecting things that should be kept, preserved, and protected in their lives. But again, He can only keep, protect, and preserve what we commit to Him. If we don't commit it to Him, then we have not given Him the place in our lives to keep, protect, and preserve. He is able to keep that which we commit to Him. We use the example of a, of, a, of a child who had a little toy red truck that was really nice and new but fragile and he wanted his buddies to see it and so he carried it with him to the playground and they were interested in it for a moment but when they realized he wasn't going to get his pretty red little, dirt, little truck in the dirt, they went on to the swings and the slides. Now he's trying to figure out how to enjoy the playground with his pretty red little model truck. And he's looking for somebody that he can commit it to. He's looking for somebody that can keep it for him. Somebody that, that he can. And that somebody's going to... We've got any moms in the room this morning, right? Mom's fixing to be given the responsibility of a little red truck, right? Now, once that truck is placed in the care, once it's been committed to someone in authority over that that little fella can trust and know that his mama's going to take care of it, what can he do now? He can focus on playing on the playground with, with his buddies because he's taken something that he had the care of and he's cast that care, he's committed that care now into the hands of someone that he can trust and does trust to keep it. 
Let's reverse it. Let's say he doesn't want to give the truck to his mother, but he wants to go try to swing with one hand and hold the truck with the other. And the mother is saying, son, if you're not careful, you're going you're to break your truck, buddy. Let, let me keep it for you. If he refuses to commit it to her, then notice she is powerless to keep it for him. So we got folks really, you know, again, upset with God because he's not keeping things that we think he should be keeping for us, but we haven't given him that place in our lives. We haven't, we haven't given that thing over to him. We're still trying to hold on to it and keep it for ourselves and, and somehow maintain it or control it. What we're learning in Scripture is that God's ability to work in your life is in direct relationship to the place that you have given Him in your life. Now, there's a lot of folks who say, well, hold on a second, that, that can't be right. Well, it, it's, clearly, it's clearly stated in Scripture. The place that we give Him. Now, in the course of our study, we've come to this portion of Scripture... And I hope that you see, I tried to point out a, a few words along the way in those verses that we read, what, nine verses. I tried to point out to you some of these key verses that have to do with place, or with placement, or with being given place, or giving place to something or someone in your life. There's perhaps not a clearer analogy given, a clearer example given in all of Scripture, when the Bible says that Jesus is that chief cornerstone and that we are living stones coming to Him. And so let me explain. First of all, the chief cornerstone is Jesus. And who gave us Jesus? Not a trick question. God the Father gave us Jesus. Or in construction terms, let's say it this way, Jesus as the chief cornerstone was given that place, was put in place, was set in place, not by men, but by God. He has been given a place by God the Father that cannot be taken away. It's a place the Bible says that He's now been given as the Son of God that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Him as Lord. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. In other words, there's coming a day where every human being who's ever lived on planet earth will recognize Jesus in the place that He was given by our Creator Father. He was not given that place because we voted Him in. He was not given that place because a whole bunch of people got together and said, man, Jesus, you need a new title. I think we're going to call you Chief Cornerstone. Absolutely not. He was given that title by His Father. He was put in that place by His Father. He was given to you and me as Chief Cornerstone. And that is who He is, and it is who He will forever be. Now, in construction terms, what that Chief Cornerstone literally meant, let's, let's just go back to... Uh, you know, ancient building, if you will. 
And it's really not ancient. We still have a version of it today. In their day, it was a literal chief cornerstone. And in any building, the first thing you put in place is what? The foundation. And the foundation determines the building that can be built upon it. If you want a 20 by 20 building, don't build a 10 by 10 foundation. You can't put a 20 by 20 building on a 10 by 10 foundation. So you've got to get the foundation in place because the foundation becomes not just that which the rest of the building it sits upon, but it becomes the determining factor on the size of the building, the scope of the building, how tall the building can be. All is determined by the foundation. Now, the chief cornerstone would have been the first stone set in place for any building. And that chief cornerstone, there would have been other cornerstones. And each one of those stones would have, guess what, marked a corner of the building. If it's a square or rectangular building, then there's going to, there are going to be four cornerstones, but one of those four cornerstones is going to be the chief cornerstone. Are you with me? If it's a more elaborate building with, with different uh, bump outs and, and turns and what have you, then there could be dozens of cornerstones, but still only one chief corner. Now, the chief corner was not only the first stone that was put in place, but that first stone, that first corner, that chief corner, becomes the stone now from which every other stone finds its place. To keep it simple, if it's a, if it's a, if it's a 20 by 20 building with four cornerstones, the chief corner is set in place first, and then we're going to pull 20 feet one direction off of that and set the next cornerstone. Are you following me? Once the corners are set, then we're going to come back in and we're going to fill in between the corners with other stones. And from there, we're going to build the building. Notice now, everything in that building is finding its place, or we could say is put in place or set in place in direct reference to the setting of the chief cornerstone where the chief corner is placed will ultimately determine where every other stone in that building is placed. Are you hearing me today? Now, Jesus is the chief cornerstone for you and me. If He's the chief corner and we're living stones, what He's saying is our relationship to Him is, de is what determines where we're placed in life. In other words, we find our direction in life. We find our orientation in life. We find our point of reference in life. We find our, uh, where we're to be set and, and, and established and put in place. We find all of that from Him. If He is not in His place, then you will never be in yours. If you don't give Him that place of chief cornerstone in your heart, then there's no reference point for your life for you to ever understand where you're supposed to be placed because all placement takes place in reference to Him. Without that, we're just drifting. 
We're just making life up as we go along. We're just trying to figure it out. But Jesus is that chief cornerstone. So do you see why in verse number 8, they stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed? In other words, there's only one chief corner. He's the, the, the chief corner is the chief corner for those who consider Him precious, and the chief corner is the chief corner for those who rejected Him. The chief corner is the chief corner for those who have given Him that place in their lives, and the chief corner is the chief corner for those who haven't. He is the chief corner. We either give Him that place and allow the words that He has spoken. Remember, we've said it throughout the course of our study. I'll repeat it for those of you who are new here. Jesus cannot have a place in your life that His Word doesn't have, and His Word can't have a place in your life that He doesn't have. He is the Word of God made flesh. And in other words, you, you, know, you can't try to do what the Bible says without giving Jesus that place in your life. There's a lot of people who try to find the principles of the Bible and live as be a good moral person, but they don't really have time for Jesus. doesn't work that way. His Word can't have a place you haven't given Him, and He can't have a place you don't give His Word. They come as a package. So when it says to the Word to which they also were appointed, in other words, this, this Word, Jesus is the Word made flesh. He is His Word. His Word is Him. Amen? See, that's important because we live in a world where people say one thing and do another. Are you understand what I'm saying? We're, we live in a world where people say, uh, do as I say, not as I do. And it sends a confusing message. No, Jesus doesn't say, Jesus doesn't say, uh, do as I say, not as I do, because He does as He says, and He says as He does. He is His Word, and His Word is Him. He is a living, breathing expression of the divine intelligence. This is why, oh, praise God. Let, let's rewind the tape for just a minute. Jesus walks into the synagogue, he asks for the scroll of Isaiah, he turns to what we now know as the 61st chapter, and he reads the prophecy about the Messiah. He rolls up the scroll, he hands it back to the attendant, the attendant puts it back in its, I picture them as like these cubicles, you know, that they slide in, they were taken, you know, tremendous care of. And then he goes and sits down in a chair that was reserved for the Messiah whenever the Messiah was going to show up. They've been waiting on him for thousands of years now. Jesus sat down in the chair and he says, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, in your eyes. In other words, everything, what is he saying? He's saying, I'm the Messiah. Where did he find that? He found it in the Word. Let me say it another way. Jesus found himself in the scriptures. Jesus found where he was supposed to be in life in the Word of God. He found himself in the Word, and now if we will give him and his Word the place that it deserves in our lives, we will find ourselves in this same Word. We will find out what's true about us. We will find out what we're capable of doing. We will find out what's been given to us. We will find out who we are in him. 
Jesus asked His disciples a very simple question. Number one, who do men say that I am? What's the word on the street? What's the opinion about me? What are people saying about me? And they started kind of throwing out some random things that were being said about Jesus. But then He turned it on a dime. He says, but who do you say that I am? If you don't get that question right, if I don't get that question right, in other words, if we don't know who He is, we'll never know who we are. If we don't know who He is, we'll never understand what He's given to us. If we don't know who He is, we'll never understand what we're capable of doing and the life that we are capable of living on this planet. He is the chief cornerstone from which every other human being will be set in place. Oh, praise God. I'm going to come back to that. Real quick, I'm out of time. Let me finish. Turn with me to Mark the 6th chapter, please. Mark chapter 6. Let me remind you as you're turning there that the prophet said to those who give Him place, to those who respect and revere and esteem Him and give Him the dignity and the rank and the place in their lives, He's precious. But to those who reject Him, He's still the chief cornerstone. But to them... He becomes a stumbling block. And what? A rock of offense. A rock of offense. Meaning what? They're offended. They're offended at Jesus. They become offended at Him. One place says that, and it's like somebody walking along and not paying any attention, and they, they stump their toe on a, a root or maybe a rock that's kind of buried in the ground, partially sticking up out of the ground. They don't see it, and they stump their toe on it and fall. Another one, and this is the most serious one, even to the point of almost being gruesome. He said that they, that some stumble over it and then that rock falls on top of them and grime to powder. Yowza. Because there's only one chief cornerstone, our opinion of Jesus or the place that we give Him or refuse to give Him in life is the determining factor in whether or not he is a precious stone upon which we can build our lives and family, or He becomes an offense to us, and instead of building our lives upon Him and finding our place in life from Him, we instead stumble over Him. We're not going to have time to get to it this morning. We'll look at it tonight. One passage in Isaiah says, not just something that trips over, but also becomes an obstacle through which you can't go around. 
In other words, there are certain things in life that we all hardwired into us, that we all long for, that we were created to have and experience. But if we don't give Jesus the place He deserves in our lives, we can never attain those things without Him. We can never lay hold of those things without Him. All right, last passage, Mark chapter 6, verse 1. Are you getting anything out of this this morning? Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So they were, what? Offended at him. All the prophecies of Isaiah, right? Not just the ones about <laughs> babe and swaddling clothes and all these things. Now we're seeing what? That he prophesied there would be those who considered him precious, but those who would be offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there. It doesn't say he wouldn't. It says he couldn't. Doesn't say Jesus got offended back at him. No, well, no, I'm a, you you gonna treat me like that? I ain't doing nothing for you. No, that's not the attitude here. Notice they're wanting him to do something in their life that they haven't given him place to do. These people needed heal, needed help. They needed healing. They needed miracles. But Jesus was just another one of them, right? They, they didn't give him that place. Now he could do no mighty work there except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. That unbelief is another form of that word, refusing to be persuaded. Their minds were made up before he ever showed up. Their attitude towards Jesus was, as far as we're concerned, you, you're a carpenter, you're Joseph and Mary's son, and, um, and that's who you'll always be until you prove otherwise to us. See, they wanted him to do something to convince them to give him the place. And that's absolutely not how this works. They were offended at him. I want to um, Can you take a little more? We learned last Sunday night that at the heart of any offense, you'll find someone saying something or doing something that you haven't given them place to say or do in your life. Anyone ever had a stranger correct your children? Anybody ever had a, an acquaintance tell you you need to lose 30 pounds? In other words, these people, they, they're, you know, they're not the boss of you. They're, they're not. You haven't given them that place, and now all of a sudden they're trying to, to take a place of authority in your life that, that you haven't given them, and that is what? It's offensive. See, the reason these folks were offended at Jesus is because He was claiming to be somebody that they 
did not give him place in their lives to be. No way you're the Messiah, Jack. No way. You expect me, because now notice, watch this. Watch this very carefully. To give him place means you have to recognize the claims that he has on you and the position that he has over you. They were so offended at him, they tried to throw him over a cliff. Now, we say, well, you know, that's, but we may not try to throw him over a cliff, but how many of the things that he says to us do we toss aside? So here are the questions that I feel like the Holy Spirit prompted on my, on my heart, okay? Have you given Jesus the right to tell you what to do with your life? Does he have the place in your life to tell you what to do with your time, your money? Have you given him the place in your life to tell you what is acceptable to think about and what is unacceptable? Does he have anything to say about these things? Yes, he does. Does Jesus have the place in your life to tell you how to raise your children? Does he have the place in your life to tell you how to treat your spouse? Does the head of the church have the place in your life to talk to you about your place in his body and the assignment he has for you? Have you given the head of the church place to talk to you about your faithfulness to him and his purposes for creating you? Does he have the place in your life to lay claim to 10% of your income? Have you pledged your life and soared to Him? Does His claims upon you, upon your words, upon your time, upon your money, and ultimately upon your life, do they offend you? Amen. Do they offend you? Singers and musicians, if you would come, please. This is part three of one of the more, uh, I don't know how to say it, amen, we're just, we're doing it, amen, we're just preaching it, but the sermon this morning is part three, does Jesus offend you? Does he offend you? Are you offended by the claims that he makes upon your life? Remember, he, he said you belong to him, Amen. Does that offend you? See, some of you in here, you hear um, you belong to him, and that's like, it, it's like, you know, hurry up and pray so I can run. Yet others of us, we hear that you belong to him, and it, it just sweeps over you like just tremendous peace. My life is not my own to do with as I please. I've been bought with a price. And I belong to Him. For some, that kind of talk represents the, you know, fingernails on a chalkboard. For others, it's the most beautiful, 
peace-giving, joy-giving phrase. Obviously, we're trying to help you understand the difference between him being precious or our being offended. Amen. Stand with me this morning. Amen. Amen. We talked this morning in the Ephesians class about a lot of different things, and one of the things that we mentioned was this idea of, of someone being the church police, where it's like they're always trying to nitpick and correct and criticize. And well, listen, I'm not the church police. I choose to believe the best about myself and I choose to believe the best about you because that's the example Jesus set for each one of us. If I'm anybody's judge, I'm my own judge, but I'm certainly no one else's. The Bible says if I'll judge myself, I'll not be judged. But I'm asking you this morning to spend a moment or two thinking about this because there's a lot of folks in the body of Christ today who are so offended at Jesus and they have no idea that they are. They don't understand that they are. Some have gotten to the point that they're just angry with him. I mean, just... Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit this morning. Thank you that he's come alongside to help us this morning. Father, you're not mad at us. Even if we're mad at you, you're not mad at us. Father, it's just a lot of things that, that we don't understand. And so you love us and you're here this morning to help us. And Father, I pray this morning by the Holy Spirit that you would help each one of us give you the place in our lives, in our homes, in our families that you deserve. Father, that we would really evaluate and with the help of your Holy Spirit come to terms with whether or not our lives are glorifying you or our lives are offended by you. I feel such an urgency, Father, for us to get this right. I feel such an urgency, Father, when it comes to the, the obstacles of our own making, the walls of our own building. Help us see it clearly, Father. Thank you for the mercy. Father, I don't, I don't know of anyone in this room that's like this this morning, but perhaps, Father, someone has been 
impersuadable in the past. Perhaps in the past, Father, there's been some folks, Lord, that just, just refused to believe or look at things any differently than they've looked at them before. Father, we're here to repent from that. Help us, Lord. Help us, Father. We call you precious this morning, Jesus. Who do men say that you are? Well, we say that you're precious. Worthy of our honor. Worthy of our reverence. Worthy of our esteem. Worthy of our time, talent, and treasure. Worthy of the highest place in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's sing this together.